Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. Deal with 
Hi, good morning, beautiful people. I want to thank you for joining me here this morning. I am Nube Brown, your host of Prison Focus Radio here on KPOO San Francisco. So before we get started with the show today, um, who I'll be talking with, uh, Mr. Jeff Ace Walker. Also, some of you may know him from the past as Mr. Wonderful. But before we get started, I want to give a big shout out of thanks and gratitude and revolutionary love for all of you that came together uh, for the winter fun drive for KPOO uh, San Francisco 89.5. We have surpassed our goal, I believe. So thank you so much for loving this radio station. And I want to personally give a shout out um, to everyone at KPOO uh, for their generous support of Prison Focus Radio as well. Also, before we get started, please consider checking out California Prison Focus. Their website is www.prisons.org. Please check out their newsletter uh, and and their website. Get the um, more uh, in-depth information on uh, prisons and our people inside living this uh, genocidal practice of modern-day slavery. Um, And also, please go to San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper's website at www.sfbayview.com. And please make donations in order to keep these newspapers going. We do need you also to continue your uh, generous outpouring of uh, financial love by visiting these websites. And if you can, please make a donation. All right, we are going to get started. I want to thank you again for being here this morning. Uh, Here is my conversation with Jeff Ace Walker. Hello, beautiful people. This is Nube Brown here, your host of Prison Focus Radio. And I have with me on the line Jeff Ace Walker. Um, He's been a regular contributing writer to the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper. And actually, I got to know him um, not just through the newspaper, but also through Minister King X, who is the um, co-director of California Prison Focus. Uh, Good morning, Jeff. It's good to have you with us this morning. All right. So, you know, I'd love for you to uh, just kind of get a little bit more acquainted with some of the listeners who may not know who you are. So if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself and maybe talk a little bit about your background. And also you there may be people out here who are listening uh, that may not know you as Jeff Ace Walker, but through something else. So please uh, go ahead and introduce yourself and give us that background. Sure, no problem, Cedric. Uh, first and foremost, greetings to all the, uh, the listeners and everybody out there, my fellow comrades and others. Uh, thank you for listening to the show. Uh, my real name is Jeffrey Walker. Uh, most people back out of San Jose, California, where I am, have been raised uh, by way of East Palo Alto first, uh, know me as Ace. For those people who may be familiar with the other character name, is uh, Mr. Wonderful that was last heard on the Wild 94.9 Doghouse radio morning show with founder JD and crew in 2005. Um, so the reason why I wanted to reach out to my fellow comrades and to the listeners is because it's time for change. Uh, 
most people knew me from a positive lifestyle that I lived at the Roseman Flower Service catered to quite a few of the different businesses, the San Jose, Oakland, San Francisco nightclub scene, to the entertainment industry. And a lot of people never knew what happened to me in 91 when I was falsely convicted. Uh, I ended up serving uh, some time and got out in 96. Uh, I kind of talked about this in the Bayview article, No Warning Shot, uh, that came out in November 2020 article. I believe it was October sometime that may have came out on the air um, that is sent out through the Bayview and stuff. I talked a little bit there about the experiences that myself and other comrades have gone through from being uh, wrongfully convicted and the experiences of the corruption within the uh, criminal justice system Many of my comrades who were filing rid of habeas corpuses and appeals that were being denied, even when they had merit by uh, some corrupt judges and stuff. Uh, other prison experiences that have happened to fellow comrades in solitary confinement, which my, uh, my brother and comrade, Minister King, ex um, talks about a lot as far as... Uh, being an artifice and activist going forward in its fight in order to end solitary confinement. And we act in solidarity in this fight and continue to need your support on that issue. Uh, in 1991, I was falsely convicted. I won't go too much on that because the main issue going forward is dealing with the issue that happened to me in 2005 out of San Francisco false conviction. Many of some of you listeners and my comrades behind the walls were rooting me on for years to make it big in the industry, only for me to get falsely convicted and end up through the county jail system and behind the walls uh, experiencing a lot of the unjust acts that were going on behind the walls. I am now in the San Francisco County Jail, temporarily. The California Supreme Court reversed part of my case that I have on a civil hold. I've served 16 years unjustifiably on a false conviction business-related. Six years spent at a hospital unjustifiably, only for the California Supreme Court to say, hey, wait a minute, this man didn't have the type of mental issue that should have held him. They used unreliable hearsay evidence in order to hold me. I have the leading case in the California Supreme Court that's published. I have nothing to hide. I have nothing to run from. When I proclaim factual innocence, I don't say that lightly. I have supporting documents to support my factual innocence. I have supporting documents to expose the tainted trials and stolen justice that's been happening to many a comrades and myself. Google it, tainted trials, stolen justice. Frederick Tolsky did a story out of San Jose Mercury newspaper on these injustices that exposed corrupt judges, prosecutorial misconduct from the DA's office, ineffectiveness of counsels, defense counsels, uh, 
just selling people out, making deals with people's lives, acting in concert with the prosecution to put somebody away. I'm talking about things that you just, normal people wouldn't even believe coming from what looks like people in society who went to school, got educated, and supposed to be trustworthy. People that we depend on, like the police department, not to commit corrupt acts as rogue officers, like the murders of George Floyd's and planning evidence on people to put them in prison and county jails. These are people we're supposed to trust as citizens doing corruption. I say it's time for change. I say it's time that we reevaluate how we approach these unjust acts. There is nothing that's... You have one minute remaining. There is nothing deterring these parties from the acts that they are committing. We need something in place, and that's the Walker Bill. But I'll talk about that later. Monitoring and recording. To accept this free call, press zero. To refuse this... Thank you for using Global Tell Link. Okay, I'm back. All right. So, um, this is great. So, Jeff, I would love for us to... Um, I'd like for us to step back a little and maybe do a little unpacking uh, from your background. I wanted to know how old you were when you were called Mr. The time when you were Mr. Wonderful. Yeah. How old were you uh, during that time and the time um, that you were falsely arrested the first time? Okay. The false arrest the first time was in 1991. Mm -hmm. I think I was around 27 years old. So the, Mr. Wonderful character in 2005, uh, let's see, 63, 73, 83, 93, 2003, I was about 42 years old uh, when I was being called Mr. Wonderful on the Doghouse Morning Show and when I got falsely convicted. Okay, and I, I would love for you to talk a little bit about once you become involved in the carceral system, um, did you have any sense of what was taking place for you? What were your thoughts at that time? Uh, Sister Nube, in 1991, I was one of them brothers that if you came to me and told me that you were falsely convicted, I see you lying. I didn't want to hear it. I grew up with many comrades. I'm an ex-gang leader. Went into entertainment, changed my life. But my comrades, when they were going to prison, they were coming home. And I seen how some of my comrades were acting and stuff like that. And when people were getting rearrested, if they told me that they planted evidence on them, that they told me they were falsely convicted, I didn't want to hear it. Mm -hmm. And I talked about this in no warning shot that possibly because of my experiences being a business owner and stuff like that, of my entertainment company and my flower service, that I was possibly white-orientated from the way that I grew up. Sister Nube, I don't have a soft story. I have poor choices. But the thing is, is that I was able to learn and meet a lot of people in a lot of different areas. So when I went to prison, 
when I went to county jail, I would see things in county jail that the public wouldn't believe. I mean, it was the most heartbreaking experience. I was surrounded with negativity. I was surrounded with people that were fighting for their lives, men with life cases, men with looking at time, and others who took it as a joke because they were going home in a couple of days. And even that was killing people. One day in county jail for some people or a couple of hours, you had people going crazy. The loss of their freedom. Now, I'm not saying that criminal activity is justifiable and that it's okay, because it's not. But the experiences behind the walls is one that I wish on nobody. When I entered that county jail, the first time I entered county jail in 1982, or 81 or 82, one of those, and I see these drunks who meant no harm, only for officers to be treating them less than, this is somebody's father, this is somebody's relative, uncle, brother, family member, and the officers talking them less than, assaulting them when they don't mean no harm, taking advantage of them and then giving them a case, talking about they assaulted staff when they came in and, and, and attacked this drunk. Can you imagine an innocent man sitting in the county jail in 1991 being sent to prison? I was on my way to the top. Former Soul Train dancer, co-host of the TV show coming up, had my own TV show. My power service was well known. This was not the life I, I, I was living. I was spreading love with my flower service and people were catering to it, helped me spread love by buying in all the nightclubs from the Studio 47 to D.B. Coopers to the clubs in Frisco, City Nights, DV8, DN8, Oakland, Sweet Jimmy's, you name it. Only to end up being sent to prison. I'm on the bus. Great Goose, huh. the prison bus, shackled like a slave, taken away from the Hollywood lifestyle that I lived to be shackled like a Kunta Kinte movie and Roots, shackled from the waist with chains around my waist and handcuffs around my wrist, ankle chains on my ankles. And when I was on that bus and I seen the San Quentin castle on the hill, I was like, not me. I was scared to death. I don't care what kind of martial art background that I had. I don't care what kind of boxing skills I had that my homies knew because I trained some hand-to-hand -hand combat. I fought on the martial arts circuit. When I seen that castle on the hill, all that went out the door. I was in a new land that I was unfamiliar with. We get up to San Quentin, the big house. The bus pulls up. We're getting off the bus like slaves. Majority of men were black, African-Americans, the majority with Hispanics. 
course, it's multicultural. You have different nationalities, but the majority. We get off the bus, talk to like slaves, given orders of superiority by these guards, telling us uh, individually strip naked after they unhandcuff us in front of other men, bend over, bend over and cough three times, squat, cough three times. Do you know what that's like for anybody, especially a man that lived the lifestyle that I lived as an innocent man? And even if you committed a crime, Sister Nupe, and listen, even if you, it, this is inhumane. Stripping in front of other men, bend over, cough. Then we're put in a room that we have to wait for processing. Then we get processed. And we have to be taken to our building. San Quentin. I enter West Block. I see five tiers on one side. I look and there's fishing lines all over where people are throwing lines out to try to get something from somebody in another sale somewhere, magazine, something to eat something because you can't get out and run around so you have to find a way to get something if the runners aren't running who are workers on the tiers to get you something then they put you in a cell with bars not fit for two bars if you're on the base side you got windows up it's cold I got there when it was raining in the winter type time it was raining and cold time of year. San Quentin, do you know what it's like in San Quentin? It's cold, the weather, the bay. Put me in the room, not fit for two. Caged like an animal. Dogs get treated better than we do. You see how dogs get treated at home and how people love their pet? Dogs are like kids. Well, some people in prison don't have families. Some people in prison are lost. They don't have much. All they knew, all they knew, all some people knew because of not having a good father figure coming from a broken home. All they knew was what they knew that caused them to be in the rut and predicament to catch a case. You see, I didn't understand this at first. Not Jeff Walker. Not Ace, not this entertainer, Roseman, business owner, martial artist, whatever you want to call it. I didn't live like this. But now, like everybody else, we family. All right, we are going to take a quick musical break with the song Eye of the Tiger, which was suggested by uh, Jeffrey Walker, because this is the song that kept him going. Here we go.
All right, if you are just joining us, this is Prison Focus Radio, and I am your host, Nube Brown, here on KPOO San Francisco 89.5. We have been in conversation with Jeffrey Walker, and we are going to continue that conversation uh, now as he starts to talk about his experience inside and the people that were there to motivate and educate him. It took a veteran to give me a rundown on prison and politics. Yes, politics, prison, politics. Because if you don't understand the playing playing ground that you're on, you're going to get into a wreck. If somebody doesn't educate you in school, you want what you should and should not do, you're going to fall into a wreck. And if you don't have your stuff together, you're going to become a victim. One way or another, somebody's girl or physical abuse. Because you're out of pocket if you're not educated, going in the wrong areas. The prison grounds is not... It's just, it's not what people think it is. And some people don't even know what to think because they don't care. They're too busy working all day long to even worry or think about what's going on in prison. It's not talked about. What stays in Vegas, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. It's like the prison story. People don't talk about what happens or what's really going on behind the walls. They don't talk about it. So I'm here to talk about it. But if you have a question... Uh, I'll, I'll answer it before I get out winded with this because I get emotional about what I went through because I'm like, I'm in prison when I'm talking <laughs> through the experience. But I will answer your question, Sister Nube. No, I, I think it's, um, I really want to acknowledge you and, you know, just really sending you a, a lot of love and support for sharing um, because basically you're sharing your, your trauma with us and until you're free um i imagine like you said i mean you're you you're living it every day and i want to ask you um i'm sorry i guess i'm taking you to you know continued painful space because you talk about how you know you've come to know these men which you would not it, it sounds like you didn't you had judgments about people in prison you thought that they were maybe deserving of whatever was not knowing anything about what was happening to them but you know you you commit a crime then you know you're in prison and that's you know your your poor choices but what you understood is that that doesn't mean that you need that you're deserving of being treated inhumanely and i want to know who were you taken away from when you were first imprisoned who, who that's a good question I was taken away from my family, my mother, my father. I was taken away from my two beautiful kids, Angel and Jeffrey Jr. My daughter was uh, a little over one. My son was uh, a few months when I was taken away. Uh, My wife, Angie, rest in peace, uh, who passed away in 2014. I'm so sorry. I was taken, yeah. I was taken away from my dear friends on the streets, uh, society that I loved. I loved the people of Santa Clara County. I loved the people of the Bay Area. I loved what I was doing. Uh, 
spreading love through the different cities and throughout San Jose, Frisco, Oakland, SAC, Hollywood. I was taken away from all of this. Uh, you have one minute remaining. And it, 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 it kind of, when you first go into the system, it hits you hard because you lose contact. Physical, you can't hug, you can't touch until you're able to get a visit, if any gets any visit. Thank you for using Global Telling. An inmate at the San Francisco County Jail. This call is from a correction facility and is subject to monitoring and recording. To accept this free call, press zero. To refuse this free call, Thank you for using Global Telling. Okay. Um, are you ready? I am. The, these are the people that I was taken away from. The most dearest to me is my family. No one knows what it's like for an innocent man to be taken to prison, to be taken away from his wife and kids, wife and kids, newborns, kids who will not see their father, being able to raise them, to give them that fatherly strength and love and guidance stripped from me, it hurt. But the thing that saved me was that my family gave me a foundation when I was young. Some people didn't have this, I found out in prison. You see, a lot of people in society, to answer your question to something you said earlier, Nobay, or not your question, something you mentioned about maybe I thought people might have deserved it and stuff like that. I know you didn't mean it as far as you're just generalizing. It wasn't the fact that people deserved it. When I was in society, I didn't care. I didn't ask questions. Because prison was not my life. Prison, people on the streets don't think about people in prison's life unless your family's going through and they tell you about it. Free society are so busy working that you could talk about prison and they don't want to hear it. I wasn't even hearing a lot of stuff talked about prison because it wasn't the people that I was hanging with per se. I knew my comrades that were coming home that I was close to and I would hear certain things they may say but I didn't elaborate and ask him, hey, man, uh, won't you tell me a little bit more about this prison? I didn't ask that. We in free society now, bro. What you want to do? <laughs> Where you want to go? You're not in prison no more. What you, we in free society now. What you want to do? Oh, you ain't had a pizza in how long? But you want a hamburger? You want to go to McDonald's? McDonald's sound good? Hey, get mad, shit, man. I get one of them cheeseburgers. I ain't had one in whoop, whoop, whoop. I got you. So we didn't talk about what went on behind the walls. My family gave me a foundation. A foundation. My father and mother let me know that I could become anything that I wanted to become. When they talk to me, people say, I went to prison. And I used to have this this one dude, he was a crip, he said, man, he said, say, bro, you sound like you're white. <laughs> His name was Boogie. <laughs> Boogie was Smooth Hoover. 
and he said, uh, we were at Solano, level three yard. That's a little higher level. And uh, this is 92. He said, I sound like a white boy. And uh, I never tripped up how I sounded. I just, I, I, that's how I grew up. Education, education. Um, but, you know, we get this. And so uh, he said, where are you from? I said, San Jose, San Jose. San Jose, you know, that's, you say San Jose, you've been, you've been around Hispanics, <laughs> Latins. <laughs> and so uh, the bottom line is, is that my family taught me the key to success. When he found out from San Jose, he didn't know I was a former gangler when I was a kid because I didn't talk like that. I, I didn't have that talk. I didn't have that walk. I was just me. I don't. I, I never judge people. If you are what you are, man, if you're cool with me, I'm cool with you. We ride. So it never dawned on me. But when you go to prison, people will see a whole lot in character. But what I'm getting at is that you families out there, the family structure is important and we're losing it. We're losing it. We got people going to prison that shouldn't be having to go to prison, shouldn't be placed in predicaments to have to go to prison. I made a poor choice. It didn't justify a false conviction, but I made a poor choice. Not once, but in my second false conviction too, made poor choices. You see, when I went to prison, and you hear about people robbing, stealing, killing, murdering, and doing stuff to people. You have to ask, how did this happen? How did this man, woman, get into a predicament whose behavior pattern got so out of hand that they ended up in prison? And so I had to look at this, but it didn't take me overnight to look at it. When I was listening to the story, see, when you're in prison, an educational center if you learn from it. So when I look back at my life and these, when these brothers were asking me questions, my comrades, man, they were like, man, ace, man, man, I, when, you, when I came in, man, I, we were rooting you on, bro. We were watching you, man, in the day room, man. We seen you on Soul Train coming down the line and, and all the positive things. And then when they asked me and I told them my story, so, I started looking back, and this is important for everybody who's listening. When I was a little kid in school, they said in order to solve a problem, you have to go to the root. And the root of the problem that I found out was the family structure. The corruption within the system that added to it for people that were placing themselves in the predicaments to end up in the criminal justice system. Only to have to deal with a racist system. A racist criminal justice system. Not the people, per se, unless you get an all-white jury who lives in another area that don't understand lower-income areas and pass judgment on people because what they've seen on TV, which does happen. But what I'm saying is this. It starts at home. What happens if you're in a low-income area 
people have to survive who don't have much. Let's say you're getting general assistance. Okay, you get general assistance some people. But some people want more than that. And so, if they want to get more, what are you going to do? Result of criminal activity. What happens if you have a drug habit? You're going to need to feed your fix. What happens when you start stealing stuff and you want stuff that ain't yours and it's other people's and, and you want to get it? You're going to do criminal activity. You see, we have to readdress what's really going on on the foundation. We have to start re-educating and come together as a family in the communities and address our family issues. When I was a kid, I grew up in San Jose Multicultural. My neighbors were Filipino. The family across the street, the Marises were Peruvian from Peru. My best friends were from Indonesia and Dutch who taught me how to play soccer. My other friend, my, my black friends and stuff like that, the African brothers and stuff like that, there was only a few in my neighborhood. But we were all family. So can I ask you, um, considering it sounds like you had all of the things in place that would um, keep you from, from being involved in the criminal justice system, do you think this has anything to do with how the system is set up to, to possibly place people in this situation that you found yourself in? Or From my think... personal experience, yeah. I'm sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead. No, no, I guess that's the question. My personal experience is different than the average person in prison, Sister Nube. The average person in prison comes from a broken home, poverty, where criminal activity was created because that's all a lot of kids knew in the neighborhoods and stuff in the low-income areas that they grew up off of. I had the pleasure of becoming a brother to many of these comrades whose stories haven't been told like this. I have to listen to them as well as they listen to me in order for us to understand each other to come to a common ground on what we need to do to change for those who want change. So as far as my experience, my parents didn't give me a handout, Nube, Sister Nube. If we wanted something, we had to work for it. My father was an engineer at Hewlett Packard. My mother was an OYBGN at Stanford Hospital where I was born. My mother graduated at the age of 16 years old from a Catholic school became a, a nurse at the age of 18. My father came from slave state, La Crosse, Virginia. He lived on a farm, a slave plantation area farm from the family. They were taught hard work and education. That's what they knew. And that's what they instilled in me. So instead of giving us a handout, you know what we used to do? We used to set up lemonade stands. My parents say, you want to hustle? Find a way. We set up lemonade stands. I collect aluminum cans. Cans. Things that most people in society would say, man, I ain't, picking, I ain't selling no damn aluminum cans. 
cardboards we pick up, collect golf balls at the golf course and sell them to the golfers. I shine shoes, the unthinkable for some people, especially rich society, man, I had ever been no shoe shiner. I shined shoes when I was a kid. So what I'm saying is, is that I started learning these things as a kid that gave me the foundation to let me know that if I wanted something positive, I can get it. There was no excuse. But see, that's not the same with everybody. And I have to understand that. Right. Some, and unfortunately, you yet and still, with all of that, you still found yourself captured by the system. Um, that's what I'm getting to. Yeah, so, yes. Um, so, yeah, so I'd love to kind of take it from there because it sounds like somewhere along the way you became an activist. Like you said, you were made privy not only to prison politics, but perhaps... Um, some other aspects of your education that you might want to talk about? Yeah, I think prison is, prison is a real education. But, uh, yeah, I became an activist. Uh, because of my false conviction. You have one minute remaining. To accept this free call, press zero. To re Thank you for using Global Telling. Okay, I'm back. All right. So, yeah, let's take a minute to talk about, yes, your education inside your activism. And then, again, let's, uh, let's finish up with how you want people to be, be involved with, the, uh, with your campaign. Sounds good. Sounds good. My activism came about through my prison experiences. When I was falsely convicted, it was my big brother, T.L., Kim Walker, well-known, well-loved, out of San Jose, legal beagle, hand-to-hand combat specialist, loved, well-loved. My big brother told me, little brother, you can't win with violence all the time against these authorities. The pen is the most powerful weapon you can use, and you need to learn how to use it. So I started studying. I started studying law behind the walls. I started finding other ways to fight back. I started listening to the comrades share their stories with me. And through trial and error, I started winning appeals. My activism came also because of the injustices where I was seeing prison guards assaulting prisoners. I was involved August 12, 1994 in the gladiator fights at Centinella State Prison. The first shooting death that happened up there, I was fighting Beaver, a.k.a. Beaver. Michael Sines. I was supposed to fight a celly, Montez, who is now my brother today years later. Brother in Christ, through these experiences and the murder of Michael Steins, who I was fighting by corrupt prison guards, I was sent to the Corcoran Shoe. Corcoran Shoe, right after Officer Pathia shot President Dayton in the head, it was called prison guards under fire. That was going on through the corruption scandals where they were setting people up in gladiator fights and shooting and killing them. Enough was enough for me. 
didn't want to let me out. They were trying to validate me, but they couldn't because I had too many associations. They didn't know they didn't know who I ran with. When I got off the streets, I get falsely convicted. That's what I'm getting to. When I get falsely convicted in 2005, I got off the street. <laughs> when I get off the street, I get falsely convicted. So when I go back into the system, I get reawakened. Why? Because God had a plan. You see, when Malcolm was doing time, he saw the light. Self-reflection. Wait a minute. I started looking at everything. When I seen Malcolm X, I was like, oh my God, that was me. And so I had to do some self-reflection. And when I went back and uh, my prison experiences and everything that I learned, I got back involved with law and activism. So I started reaching out to organizations. I started communicating. How can I make a difference? I started writing people. Jethro, Yoki, in Texas, my comrade today. I started writing. I do legal work. He needed help. I got female friends over at C, uh, what's it, CC, think it's CCW's Chowchilla. They don't call it Chowchilla, though, but those who know, know what I'm talking about. So, in my activism, I started communicating with people, and I retouched bases with my comrade and brother, Minister King X. You see, I didn't know Minister King X from California Prison Focus out of Oakland Head, who helped been instrumental in solidarity movement to end solitary confinement with many of our comrades and sister new base been a great part of assisting and a lot of stuff that's been going on but i got with my brother conrad because i used to promote him as pie face i didn't know nothing about no minister king x right. i hadn't seen him for years he was pie face to me recording artist coming up him and his boys out of sacrament hollow tip young writer falling ass dame these cats. And I was like, whoa, man, when I found out, man, that he was doing this, I said, man, let's collaborate. When he told me, man, that he'd been in the shoe at one time, and, and I think he was over at Corcoran and some other stuff, and that he was helping the con. I said, wait, hold on. And I started, and then when I got to Bayview doing time, I said, whoa, wait a minute. These stories sound familiar, man. I'm going to find out who this, who Miss Mary Ratcliffe I'm hearing about, Willie Ratcliffe and the family, and who are these people? All these articles in the Bayview, National Black Newspaper that mainstream didn't have. I said, man, as an activist, I said, man, this is how I got involved. And I'm saying, man, I want to know about, oh, wait, hold on, Mumia Abu-Jamal, proclaiming factual innocence, wrongful conviction. Wait a minute, Dr. Matula Shakur? Wait a minute, man, Tupac Stephanie? Wait a minute, man, who... Who? Where are they getting this information at? I got interested because mainstream news wasn't telling me nothing about it. So I said, man, I'm just, I, I want to know more about this. And so I started studying. When I started seeing Black Lives Matter and the movements going on, I said, wait a minute, here we go. And so today where I stand is this. You see, we get caught up in the negative and we lose focus on the power of the movement. Question, why was the Panthers deemed public enemy number one? What did they do? 
set up food programs, educational programs, want to help uh, provide security for our people in the communities against the corruption of corrupt officers. What did they do wrong? The Panthers became public enemy number one is because the opposition didn't like the fact that they couldn't get away with doing anything in the cities of Oakland anymore. <laughs> they couldn't get away with the unjust acts that they were doing anymore because now you had a movement that was ready to not only educate and protect the people, but to fight back for real, to bring fire with fire. And now you got, whoa, people publicating false information about Panther members and this and that. The prejudice society against Panthers. Let's, let's keep it in that positive realm. We know that our, our Black Panther uh, members, especially the ones that are um, falsely imprisoned, uh, former Black Panthers, are now our political prisoners, many of them incarcerated since their youth. So we're talking about youth incarceration and now our political, our political prisoners. And so do you want to, as we are finishing out here, do you want to talk uh, just briefly about what you would like people to direct people to your campaign? Um, you know, and, you know, how, how you just want to leave this with the people. Yes. God bless my comrades behind the walls, answers and others. Survivors. We're survivors. And what people can do for me today, in this fight to help clear Jeff Bates Walker's name, you help me clear my name during this process, I will promise to be a voice for the voiceless. As you helping me clear my name, as you get with the newspapers and you let these people know, free Jeff Bates Walker, clear Jeff Bates Walker's name. I'm being held in the county jail right now, and I have a court hearing on January 5th. I shouldn't even be held in here, period, to see if I meet a mental criteria to be sent back to a state hospital I should have never been at in the first place. What I'm saying to you is this. You help clear Jeff Bates Walker's name, go to change.org. You can sign the petition. And I will be one of the 80 new voices with my comrade, Minister King X. I will be an assistant. You have one minute remaining. And communicating with the Bayview National Black Newspaper and the articles in Jeffrey Walker. An inmate at the San Francisco County Jail. This call is from a correction facility and is subject to monitoring and recording. To accept this free call, press zero. To Thank you for using Global Tell Link. All right, Jeff. Yeah, let's go ahead and, and wrap this up. Oh, sorry about the background noise. We've got activity happening in the apartment building. Okay. All right. So what I'm, what I'm saying is, people, you help me in clearing my name. Allow me that platform. And I will help be that new voice along with others. I will help solve problems with solutions and community change. 
I will help communicate and helping brothers behind the wall may change my comrades from behind the walls. Many of them who know me, who trust me, who believe in me, who know I keep it 100, those that are still in solitary confinement, those who are out, there's some good men in there that need direction and guidance. There's some good mentors and leaders that are in there. So you help me and clear Jeff Bates Walker's name. Allow me that platform. This is what I would like you to do. Go to change.org. Search clear Jeff A-C-E Walker's W-A-L-K-E-R-S name. Help clear Jeff H. Walker's name. Sign the petition. I'm asking you to sign the petition, not ordering. Sorry. Sign the petition, if you could. Donate to promote the petition. Then you will be able to go down at the bottom and you can donate for legal defense funds to take over what I started in Proper as my own attorney. What I would also ask you to do is go to Facebook, Jeff Ace Walker. Google Jeff Ace Walker to get more familiar with who you're talking to so you can understand a little bit about my story. You will see the no warning shot. If you Google my name, you will see the no warning shot printed inside the Bayview National Black Newspaper. And you'll be able to see what I actually went through as an innocent man the first time and know the struggles of my comrades and what we went through. And just know that I still seek justice. We still seek justice for the murder of Michael Sines by prison guards when you read that story. That's on no warning shot. And listen, I guarantee you, we will make change. Sister Newby, I thank you for the interview and stuff like that. All power to the people. Can't stop, won't stop right here, for real. Yes. Thank you, everybody, for listening. All right. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much for giving us of your time. Uh, really, it's very beautiful. Again, yes, can't stop, won't stop. I'll power to the people. All right, beautiful people. That is our show for the day. If you want to reach Jeff Walker, you can reach him at Jeff Walker. His number is 457-039, San Francisco County Jail, number 2425 7th Street. And 7th is spelled out, San Francisco, California, 94103. And at the uh, time of this recording... Um, I was sent the news. I didn't realize that Bell Hook has passed on. She is now an ancestor, Bell Hooks. And this is what she has to say. And this is what I would like to share because it really sums it up uh, for this work that we are doing. It is essential to our struggle for self-determination that we speak of love. For love is the necessary foundation enabling us to survive the wars, the hardships, the sickness, and the dying with our spirits intact. It is love that allows us to survive whole. Bell Hooks. We love you, this incredible queen, sister, warrior, goddess, who has left us with so much uh, to move with. Um, if you don't know about Bell Hooks, please do. Um, beloved by both men and women 
uh, for her amazing contribution uh, now and forever uh, to this movement and to the love of the people. Um, onward, in shared humanity, revolutionary love, and Ubuntu. Get ready for Work Week with Steve Seltzer.